Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and today... I'm joined with my co-host, Neil. How are we doing, buddy? Hey, I am doing great. It's so good to be back. What's our topic today, brother? Hey, we are talking about the mistakes leaders make when we are um, falling into the trap of pleasing people uh, and letting that replace a desire to please God. So pleasing people, replacing pleasing God. You know, as we were setting up for this episode, we were actually going to try to cover a couple of different ones, but we felt like this one topic needed a, a whole show by itself and so a whole block of time by itself so uh let's let's kind of let's kind of talk first of all about uh why this one probably needs as much time uh proverbs tells us in proverbs 29 25 the fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts in the lord is safe uh hebrews 13 6 tells us so we are confident say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me uh you know, this theme of fear of man and fear of God, you know, this is really what it boils down to. And uh, I think that if you're looking for a lot of very expansive information about how this topic can affect you, this, this biblical precept, I would recommend the book when people are big and God is small by Edward T. Welch is an excellent, have you read that one, Neil? Great book. I loved it. Yeah. I know that's what you would want me to say. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted you to say. I'll slip you the 20 later, buddy. I'm, I'm just trying to please you, Travis. I'm just teeing them up. Softballs today. You knock them out of the park, okay? Uh, but if we had to kind of boil down, though, what what would we say the difference between fear of God and fear of man is, Neil? If we had to explain this to somebody, you know, we got different people that listen all the way from pastors to people sitting in the pew. What, what How would you define that just concisely? Man. Well, I, I think honestly, what it, what it comes down to is this, when, when we are, when we are leading, when we are, are pursuing ministry more out of a, a, a desire to make a particular person happy than we are uh, uh, out of obedience to the word of God. And so, so again, this is the hard part about pleasing man versus pleasing God is I think you can do so much, many years of ministry um, under the impression you're, you're ministering to the glory of God only to realize that at some point pleasing man has become more significant um, or, or has crept in there. So it's sneaky. It's not something that's readily apparent on the front end, but, but I think becomes apparent when we're, we're facing difficult decisions and we're more worried about what certain power players in our church think or the church in general thinks rather than what we feel we are led to do according to scripture. So, so it's when we're, we're making decisions out of the, um, the impression on what we think people will think rather than what we feel like we're being called to by the word of God. Is that a fair what would you add to that? Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, and your your primary thing that you're, you know, one of the things that I, I've always said when I'm trying to understand a people or a person, I always ask the question, what are they afraid of? What 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 scares them? You know what I mean? And because what whatever you're afraid of and what scares you is very telling for where your heart is geared in worship. You know what I mean? You're going to, you're going to, kind of sacrifice for that. And I don't think it's an accident in scripture that we have this concept called fear of God, you know, and we see it all over the scriptures. And it's so many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, the question is going to become, who do you truly fear? Do you fear the, the uh, you know, in, in Elijah's time, do you fear King Ahab and Jezebel? Or do you fear the one true and living God of Israel, right? 
you know, that's the, that's the question in first Kings 19. And, and I think the reason he's crushed and so depressed is he has found he is afraid of man more than he's afraid of God. And, uh, and I, I can't say that, you know, battle Elijah, because the reality is I, I have struggled with this myself, brother. You know, this mm-hmm. has been something that has been hard for me multiple times. And I, I think another layer that is harder here is I, I think most pastors are probably just by their natural tendencies, people pleasers. Do you think that's a fair statement, Neil? I think that's, again, an incredibly fair statement that I can relate to 100%. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I would say that's going to be a common issue because a big part of what we do as in ministry is, is being obedient to the Lord by caring for and shepherding the flock. And it's just like at times as parents, when, when we look back and say, man, we're driving ourselves crazy to do all these things for our children. And rather than shepherding our children, their, their lives are kind of driving the bus. I think the same happens in a church context. When we're trying to be obedient to the Lord and serve and care well for his flock, it's so easy to allow that to become serving the flock rather than serving the chief shepherd. So yeah, I think most of us are going to wrestle with that in some form or fashion in, in any time of ministry, both uh, paid staff pastorally or, or even volunteers. Why do you think we as pastors are just kind of wired and bent that way? Do you think it has something to do with our upbringing, our background, or do you think it's a personality temperament? Well, I would say to some extent, um, it, 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 it might be a little bit of, of a sin issue. And, and I, cause I think behind the desire to please people is the desire to have people say, we are good. And, and so, so maybe even behind this desire to make a person happy is a desire for them to like us. And, and so I, I think maybe that's just a, um, a unique way that, that in pastoral ministry, again, we're, we're going to be tempted or, or, or it's an, it's an easy to identify a sin issue or potential off ramp of, to good faithful ministry, um, on the particular road we are on. So, so in other words, you could be in different vocations, have different career paths, and they're going to have their own unique challenges or, or potential places for, um, for sin. And, and I think in our instance, because we work so much with people that just, it's more, I think, related to the job, I guess, is what I'm trying to say than it is a, a temperament. But what would you add to that? Cause, cause maybe you've got a, a different expectation or answer. Well, I think it's probably a little bit of mixture of all, but I, I do think that the general temperament of the personality of most pastors there's just some, what I would say is this, and, and this is probably kind of combining my question with your point. Uh, unfortunately, many of us as pastors have a need to be needed. And, and it is, and, but the reality is a need to be needed can turn detrimental because you can just end up spending, 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 trying to p- please and feed that idol because that's what it becomes. That need to be needed becomes an idol and, and you, you've got to be careful and be at least aware of that you know? Yes. Oh yeah. And, and don't you think, I mean, and this has been one of the interesting things that this book we've been working through mistakes leaders make by Dave Kraft it, that, that has been pointed out to me in one sense, I think I struggle sometimes with books on leadership because they can, they can tend to be so pragmatic, mm-hmm. but at the same time, a great reminder that I, I was thinking about as I read this book is, is leadership is still a gift or an ability that needs to be cultivated. And so to, to some extent, um, you know, for us as leaders, there are still going to be um, 
there's going to be issues we have. And, and for those of us in ministry, now, now I, I work closely at my current church with a number of soldiers. Uh, we've got a couple military installations within about five to 10 minutes um, of our church on either side of us. And, and so we have a lot of soldiers and, and leadership in the military is obviously very different than leadership in the church. And, and it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear um, men and, and, and men mostly, I guess I've talked to, not that there's not women leaders in the army, but, but the men I know talk to or critique from their perspective, the type of guys that are so often leading in church. And, and, and so we aren't necessarily the same type A driven personalities in all instances, although sometimes we are. Um, and so and sometimes to what Dave Kraft pointed out, some of us become leaders um, because we're, we're, we, we've had some success in doing ministry. And so now we're being asked to lead ministry. And so, so some of us, even as doers, that, that desire to serve, to be needed is there. And, and what we have to be careful of is mindful of cultivating the gifts of leadership and being aware of the traps of leadership that, to your point, come out of having a servant heart. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, leadership is leadership and, and in many ways. Our whole nation is suffering from a lack of good leadership across the board, and I'm not trying to make the episode political, but uh, you know, there, you know. Would you care talk- to care to name any examples of that? Uh, not, not from American <laughs> politics. No, uh, I could, but I won't. I'll say this though: I, I believe that uh, you know this is supposed to be a podcast on church revitalization as one of the central themes, and I think the number of of qualified, called men to do church revitalization of 100% of the pastors that are out there's probably around 15%, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's a low number that can really kind of handle and, and cultivate the the gift set and leadership set that's needed. Cause you know, you're, here's what it boils down to. Jesus said in Luke six twenty six, woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You know, it really, <laughs> it really should not be a goal of a pastor to want everybody to like them and be happy with them all the time. And if that bothers you and you can't get past that, you may not be called to ministry. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Cause I mean, I've been to funerals of guys who were deacons in churches like that. And uh, I remember one deacon I, I had a funeral for and when they got done with the service, this was in a different States, not where I'm serving now. So I'm not sure any of my church members listen to this, but if you did, you'll never figure it out. So good luck trying, but uh, <laughs> he died and they got up there and said, man, no, and I'm going to use a fake name. They said, nobody said anything cross about Bob ever. You know, Bob was just a wonderful person. That everybody loved nobody. He didn't have any enemies at all. And I'm thinking, is that Christ like, you know, because uh, isn't that the call of the shepherd to be Christ like Neil? Yes. So what's this going to so. look like to Luke six twenty six? Like, how does this happen? Like, how do we get to this point where you know, not everyone speaks well of us? Like, what what is it that we do that tends to set people off? Well, let's be honest. I, I've got to feel personally. I, I'm just able to be myself, and naturally, people don't like me. It's it's great. <laughs> I, I have. I have well, I there have is that, that gift. There is that. <laughs> <laughs> but but, re- but really, to the point you're saying, I, I think, you know, anytime we're working with any number of people, be it 50, be it 75, heck, in our homes, be it a husband and a wife, the minute you have more than one person involved, there's going to become a point of conflict where a decision is made that's going to be hard for one, both, or multiple parties. And so, to some extent, the 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 
act of leadership to to try and take a, a body of believers and, and point them in a direction that is applying the word of God to how they're living in their community context means that at some point the decision you make can be biblical and yet not um, not in agreement or not not representative of where everyone is at or what everyone would want. And I'm not saying that the people who don't want it are not being biblical because at times we're going to apply the word and there's going to be some ability to disagree on how we should apply the word to our context, life, and activity. So so at some point, if you're going to be leading, it means you're going to be calling the church to a direction that probably is not going to naturally or immediately um, fall in the line with everyone. And so to make decisions to... Um, to take a, a team, and again, I'm not sure I ever want to see senior pastor leading all alone, but to take a team of, of, of leaders together towards a particular direction means that there's going to be some people who are wondering how or why. And let's face it, in the American culture today, I don't care if leadership is good or bad, nobody likes a leader who, who leads strongly. And and so we see that. And think about this, Travis, the last year, you and I, neither one of us is somebody who wears a mask every chance we get. But in the last year, we have seen churches all over the nation literally um, be split apart over an issue that is not sinful in and of itself. No. And 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 that's that's because leadership may say we're going to go this direction or that direction. And if people don't like it, then the leader's gone bad there. And there are all sorts of names that you can call them depending on which le- line you fall on. So, so I think anytime you lead strongly, and by that, I don't mean dictatorially, I just mean by making a decision, you have the potential to upset people who think you should do it another way. And in a Western individualistic culture, that, that potential increases. Yeah. And it can become even toxic whenever you take into effect that if you've upset the wrong people in a family church in Appalachia, for example, uh, then you may not be able to recover from it. Like it may come to a, either you're going to leave or we're going to leave. And if they leave, then they think it'll spell financial ruin for them. Or if you leave, it may also spell ruin for the church. Uh, but you know, in as far as it's possible, we try to have be at peace with everyone, but that verse also implies there's times where we're not going to have peace. Uh, you know, and, and what this also means is as a pastor, you're going to have to have awkward, hard conversations. And, uh, you know, I think about Luke chapter 11. I just finished preaching through that. The end of chapter 11, Jesus is invited over for a dinner party by a Pharisee. And uh, I don't know what happened, but basically Jesus did not observe the traditional customs of the day, you know, and that Pharisee shot him a look or had a thought in his, his, uh, in his heart and all that. And uh, then he, um, you know, he laid it, woe to you Pharisees. And he laid out all these woes about you wash the outside of the cup and inside your bones. And, and then the lawyers are kind of listening and they're like, man, he's really laying in that. Well, surely you don't mean us too. And then he turns around and says, woe to you lawyers. And then, you know, lays into them with three things. And if you can imagine a dinner party like that, everybody be staring down at the peas and mashed potatoes. And, and then he gets done with that. It's kind of like, well, now pass the lamb, right? You know, it's just yes. part of the business of, of doing that. And, uh, you know, do you a, think, do you think rebuke. if Jesus had to rebuke? At times you're just, you're going to have a hard conversation. I remember one guy I had a conversation with, it's like, pastor, I don't understand why you're doing this to my friend. He's caught in sin. So I took him through Matthew 18 and laid the principles out and he went, huh, never read that before. I don't believe it. And, uh, you know, that was weird <laughs> and awkward. And I was like, well, I guess we're done, you know, cause there's nothing else to say. And so, uh, you know, it, it it's, it falls in that category of, uh, of a need to, um, to be faithful to God first and foremost, because, you know, you're going to get all kinds of threats. Nobody likes the direction you're going. Everybody's angry with you. Like this, this is a continual pressure that's inflicted on pastors. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, well, uh, yeah, I still got to preach the word. So I got to do what Jesus asked and the chips are going to kind of fall where they will, you know? Yeah. And, and can I ask you a question being in a, a senior leadership role as you've been in for, for a number of years, you know, I, I was talking with a friend just last night who, who's at a church in Texas and, and he is struggling. He, he's a, actually a military guy. So he, he was here for a while. Now he's serving in Texas. He's at a church where, where, where the senior pastor seems to be somewhat timid um, and, and sort of fearful of people at times uh, saying one thing to him in private, but then publicly saying other things. And, and I've experienced this on my own in terms of being led by, by people in, in various churches I've been a part of. So, so here's my question for you, though, is, is I think that as a leader, we're supposed to speak the truth. How do you as a leader lead well in, in the instance where, where your body is not ready to go along with you? So, for instance, I've heard Mark Dever talk a number of times about the fact that he's lost votes on the elder board, that that's a common occurrence um, in his ministry context. And I'm guessing, seeing as how long he's been at that church, there were, there were probably periods early in the history where the makeup and function of the church was not what he desired it to be. So as a senior leader for you, Travis, how do you lead well when the people are not ready to follow your leadership? So you're not being weak and, and just capitulating to what they want, yet at the same time being patient, recognizing they're not going to be where you want them to be today. Uh, that is a hard line to toe. And I'll just say this, um, whatever amount of time you think it'll need to implement the change, it's probably going to be longer particularly in Appalachia and particularly in the mountains here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, you know, we just recently had something like this happen in the church where I thought everybody would be ready and they weren't. And, uh, you know, it kind of needed to sort of slow down and have a season of um, relation building before we readdress the issue, because there was some things brought up about, you know, relationships and questioning of, you know, people seeking power. Cause one of the things that happens when people, reject leadership is that they tend to project so what i mean by that is they will accuse the leader many times of things that they are guilty of we see this you know it, it that's probably sounds odd to some of you but let me see if i can give a illustration in a marriage and it'll make more sense for example if you have a spouse in a marriage that is being unfaithful and committing adultery what is the tendency that that spouse tends to do to the faithful partner? They tend to regularly accuse them of what? Seeking an affair, seeking to be unfaithful, checking their phones all the time to see, are they cheating on me? Because what they fear is the sin that they're engaged in, that their spouse is engaged in as well. And so the projection happens just the same in churches. When you start hearing about pastor's trying to take over the pastor's trying to do this pastor's trying to do that many times not all the time but many times because that song is played over and over in churches i mean it's like over and over that is projection of laity towards the pastor so uh, i don't know if that makes sense or not but you know that's that's what i would say one layer is uh, another layer then is for you personally you got to realize as a leader, if you are so far ahead of your people that they can't keep up with you, you're not really a leader. You're just a man taking a walk by himself. You know what I mean? And so you've <laughs> got to allow time for them to catch up and you, you've got to, you know, listen, I just was on, you know, Matthew's not here. And he said, one of the things he learned from me 
was the need to slow down with implementing changes sometimes that you have got to give the time the people need to take that in ingest it and and become become ready to follow it and you know if it's really a biblical thing and it's really what god's word says and you true have true you know sheep that's there you know those are two or three contingent things there then uh it'll happen with time you know i just I just spoke with a pastor a few weeks ago who has been in his church 30 years and he's getting ready to touch a touchy issue. And you know what the issue is? The issue is this. They're getting ready to start ordaining divorce deacons. He's been there 30 years before he's touched this and, and he is now moving it forward. But he told me, he said, he's about to lose two or three families. They're going to leave in a very biblical way, but they're leaving over it. And um, you know, so anyhow, and I'm not advocating for one position over the other. I, I personally am probably more in agreement with that pastor that's been there 30 years, but here in the mountains, man, that's like, that's a big deal because that's like the one check box you can check of qualifications for deacons. And if you take that away, pastor, then how could we know if anybody, but the other side of that is how, what percentage of, of a church is divorced, Neil, would you say? I would, I would like to think in, in our evangelical context, we're looking at it probably still 30%. 30 or 40, you know, yeah. so you've just mm-hmm. disqualified right off the bat. 30 or 40% of your congregation. That's a pragmatic statement. But, you know, the other statement for me is, you know, in the, in the Greek, Paul didn't use the word divorce. He had it in his repertoire. I mean, he used it in first Corinthians, uh, you know, but he didn't choose to use that there. It was a one woman man, but you know, that's not something the church is ready for, you know, and that one pastor highlighted that was, that was 30 years in the making 30 years. So, you know, it's hard sometimes to know, which ones to to move forward with in some ways, you know, trying to figure out where to change and lead. is kind of like, you know, those long clown balloons, like that they do at tables to keep kids <laughs> occupied. You know, yes. You I always, I always like the poodle. Yeah, I know. Right? You, you grab this end of the balloon and it, it balloons up on the other side. So then you grab that end and it balloons up in the middle and it's just constant wherever you grab, you know, there's another issue that is popping up there. And so you just, you know, for your own sanity, uh, you also have to center, center yourself on being just satisfied in who Christ is and being satisfied in preaching his word and making it clear to the people. Because if you're not satisfied in those things, you're going to just, I think you're going to burn out. <laughs> I think you will. So that was an awfully long answer to your question, but. But I think that was very helpful and, and it took us a little off topic, but, but still addressed something at the root of how, because in one sense, people pleasing can feel sometimes, or, or it's going to be hard to distinguish between people pleasing and being patient with your people. Right. And, and that, that's something we're all going to have to do because contextually, not many of us are in probably situations that you would call vibrant, ready to move situations. And, and when you're in an older established congregation, you cannot at any point early in your ministry expect to be ready to just get up and go. You've got to bring them along. And, and, and again, any level of patience we've been asked to show as pastors is nothing compared to the patience we've been shown by our savior. So, so to yes. some extent, it's just an exercise in growth and grace for us. And so I want to ask you this, Travis, if you had to pick three things that have helped you work through issues of people pleasing or, or identify and repent of people pleasing, what would be your top three things that help or top three medications for the sickness of people pleasing? Oh, dude, I don't think that our listeners are going to like my answer to this. <laughs> so, uh, my number one answer is this. What do you, what do you <laughs> Yeah, hey, I'm going to lay into you. Uh, <clears throat> my number one answer is you're going to have to get your teeth kicked in in ministry a few times. 
for those of you that are pastors, like you're, you're going to have to just experience the brutality, right? You know, I'm working in, in uh, the old Testament right now in Habakkuk and on Wednesday nights and, you know, God raised up these, these godless pagan Babylonians to be the instruments of wrath to Israel and Judah. And he's having a hard time reconciling. How can God use such godlessness to be an agent of discipline? But the reality is you kind of need it beat out of you and the God and the Holy spirit can raise up people that are, to be quite honest, godless people that are within your church, and they they will help beat this out of you, because you're they're going to force you. Uh, the you know one of the things that relieves anxiety, I think A. W. Tozer said this, is that if we can really get to the point where we believe that everything that is happening to us is meant to make us more like Christ, everything. So when that that deacon or that lady or whoever that makes your life miserable comes and and lays into you one more time. Uh, you know, being centered on that, and then God's beating that out of it. Second of all, uh, I think the the book uh, that I mentioned early on, when people are big and God is small, really helped me tremendously to see, you know, where all the tentacles of this of this ugly idol, idolatrous sin it was in my own personal life. And then uh, the third thing that helped me was um, I went through a failed merger of two churches. It was a failed merger. And, uh, you know, so it's like, basically this all was beat out of me through failure. You know what I mean? But I failed so badly and, and through a lot of prayer and a lot of time, I I've come to realize that my fear of man was such a problem that I didn't see at the time that if we had been successful in merging those two churches, cause that was a big talk back whenever I was in Indiana at the time, uh, that, uh, my ego would not have been able to handle it. You know, we, we, we've made reference to the fact that sometimes your charisma and your abilities can outpace your character. And I think that if that would have worked, you know, I would have had interviews for the state convention, maybe nationally, we would have made, you know, we would have had articles done. People probably would have been calling for advice. And I, and I don't think I was at a point where, you know, character wise, I was developed enough to handle that kind of success because of my fear of man problem. So those three, I think, I think that's very, very helpful stuff. And, and can I ask you one more question? Yes. How, how do we keep it? And, and one thing I would add is, is sometimes we just need to repent. We yeah. need to identify that we're living out of fear of man rather than fear of the Lord. And we need to repent. And, and, and that means confessing our sin and turning to Jesus and pursuing him. But as a pastor, another, another temptation, if we're, if we're going to swing the pendulum the other way is we're going to go from fearing man to sort of living out of an, I don't care what you think type of leadership. So yes. a little bit of that's, that's a, a little ditch on the right, isn't it? There's a ditch yes. on the left that we spend most of our time in, but there's a ditch on the right here. Yeah. So, so how, how do we avoid going that direction and continue to love care for and be patient with, with the people God has called us sovereignly to lead, not to I, lead sovereignly, but in his sovereignty, he has called us just to be clear. I think this is an issue of, of, yeah, I hear you. I got you. Uh, <laughs> I think that this is an issue of applied wisdom because, you know, it, let me, let me use a completely different illustration here just to get, get the point across. A friend of mine had a close friend that died about our age that just today. And, um, you know, I, um, I was talking to him on the phone. The grief was fresh. It was raw. It was real. I did not bring up Romans eight twenty eight right? That, God works all things to the good for those that love the Lord, right? Mm. That principle is true and it's right, but that's not the time to do it. 
And I think that wisdom comes in with how do you, how do you apply what needs to happen with the reality of what you currently have? Because as pastors, you live in this, I think you live in a continual tension of contentment and discontentment. And as you live in this, this discontentment, if the discontentment level gets too high for this is what God has called us to do, we must do it. You know, like take, for example, I think a common thing that we see, particularly younger pastors doing, you know, setting up church discipline. Well, the church hadn't done church discipline ever since the 1960s. And you're going to do it to somebody for, you know, hopefully a very well-known public sin, but the church just may not be ready. At this point, they've not had the teaching. They've not had the preaching. It's not in their heart. They don't have the, they don't have the guts and the fear of God in them yet to do it. And so you're going to be going on a walk by yourself. Uh, another issue is, you know, like church governance. You know, it's like, well, Grandpa had it this way and Mamaw had it this way. And so it should just always remain the same. And, uh, you know, yes, biblically speaking, you have the high ground, right? And everybody on here that's a Star Wars fan, you know, it's over, Anakin. I've got the high ground, right? You know, we know that you, you've got the high ground. You've got scripture and the and the biblical structure that is there. Uh, but, you know. But ironically, it's us who end up getting cut in half. Yeah, that's right. But instead <laughs> of being Anakin, it's the yes. pastor, right? So uh, anyhow, uh, so I, I think it just, you know, I think it's really helpful in those situations to kind of be near those lay leaders that are close to you. And I think you need to sort of, run things by them, you know, whatever it is, if that's deacons or if that's, you know, don't, don't go in there guns a blazing in a big public forum with some of those things, unless you just have no, op- no option. I mean, you know, if somebody comes in and they're being unruly in a very public setting and you got to do what God's called you to do and set them down and call them down. So, yeah, <laughs> so there you go. But Sorry, I'm laughing. You can't see this. He just held up a book with a certain pastor that if we mentioned would be well known and is actually a false teacher. So, (laughs) oh, and somebody gave it to you. That's sweet. Yes, it was very, very sweet. Very sweet. All right. I think we're going to have to land this plane here. Any closing thoughts, though, on um, on this concept of. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess if I could if I could add one thing to that list that, that again, it's a drum that I've beaten. Um, and, and I don't think it's possible to beat it to death is, is when we step into a time of worship with our saints and, and especially as pastoral leaders, it needs to be an active exercise in putting off ourselves and lifting up the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime we worship mindful of the fact that saying yes to Jesus and lifting up his name is, is at the same time, pushing down our own, that is a great reminder and will always be a heart check to the idols of people pleasing or self-preservation, which I think, again, those two can be related that we're tempted to fall into. And so, mm-hmm. so make sure pastors who are listening, make sure lay leaders who are listening, that when you step into a service, you are able to, the, the, the moment the bell rings to go and until the bell rings to end, that you're able to put off worrying about who are the new guests. Um, that song is done out of key. Whatever, whatever you're tempted to allow to take the place of your affection for Jesus, consciously put those thoughts aside and focus on his goodness and lifting up his name. That's what we're there to do. And that is a, a medication for the soul that will sustain us and help us to fight those idols that build up in our heart. I say amen to all that. I'm going to just give my closing thought is this. It's the closing prayer from the chapter that we reviewed for this episode. And this is my prayer for um, when you're alone, uh, when you're, you're working through this on your own, 
And I think it's excellent. It just says, Jesus, I confess that I have been more concerned with what others think about me and my ministry than with what you think. I have been living in fear and I have been a slave to other people's opinions. Help me by your grace to hear your voice about the den of who of some of other above all the other voices and grant me the courage to obey you and the willingness to be unpopular if that's what is necessary. So that's a pretty good thing. Amen. Amen to that. All right, brother. Well, we're uh, going to keep on the series. I think we've got some more topics we're going to cover with mistakes. You know, thanks for being here. Look forward to catching you next time. It's going to be great. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.